This is American Submitter. I'm Imran Ali Malik. Have you ever heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? It's a pyramid that maps out human motivation. It starts off with our most basic needs at the bottom, which are food and shelter. And then if we get that, we figured out how to survive. But then we begin to ask ourselves, okay, I figured out how to survive, but how do I live well? And then our focus moves on to the next level and the next level until we reach the top of the pyramid. So that's the idea. The next level is safety, which is our need to feel a sense of security and that we're not in any danger. And then after that, it comes love, self-esteem. And then at the very top of the pyramid is our need to find meaning and purpose in our lives. So basically what Maslow is saying is that as we fulfill more of our outward needs, our needs become more inward in nature. As a country, for the most part, we sit in the very middle of this pyramid, with our basic needs not only met, but saturated which leaves the top of the pyramid mostly unexamined. In many ways, our lives today are defined by our incredible need to find meaning and how far we are or are not willing to go to go and find it. To understand what I mean, we travel to Menlo Park, California, to talk to my friend Scott. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to where I grew up. All right. First, an introduction. Hello. My name is Scott Robert Doolin. I am 26 years old, and I am from Menlo Park, California. Scott is a proud native son of the Bay Area, and he's from an old California family. My family's been here since the 1870s. His room is lined with black and white pictures of his family. Well, actually, his ancestors. That's my great-grandma, that's my great-great-grandma, and that's my great-great-great-grandma and great-great-great-grandpa. All in one picture. Wow. Classic old world Americana. People looking directly at the camera, no expression on their faces. I think it's really interesting because it looks like this old world photo, but then you've got this palm tree in the background. And that's how you know you're in California, Mm. even if it was like back in the day. So Scott and I are currently students at Zaytuna College. It's an Islamic liberal arts college in Berkeley, California, that focuses on classical tools of learning and thinking, like grammar, rhetoric, and logic but it also grounds us in the traditional Islamic sciences and ways of viewing the world. When Scott converted to Islam three years ago, nobody in his life saw that coming. But here's his story from the beginning. When I was growing up, I used to be really into or interested in like other cultures and like other peoples um, and religions too. When I was young, my mom always likes to tell a story when I was in fourth grade, I wanted to go to the Buddhist monastery. So, so I did. Scott grew up as an only child who loved to read. He was often at the local library, checking out books on world mythology or pirates. But as he grew up in this idyllic American suburb, he began to notice some things that bothered him about Menlo Park. Um, as you've probably noticed coming in here, this is a affluent suburb, and you know it's. I had a lot of anger in high school because I was kind of surrounded by like what I consider to be major hypocrisy and like the lack of social justice and like the lack of concern about what was going on, you know, right over there, really. Mm. What do you think it was, was about you that made you concerned about those things versus your peers? Most kids growing up here really just, they like their sports, they like their video games, they like their whatever it is, you know, and I, I've always sought to know 
the truth about things, um, what was really going on out there. But I didn't have like a key to order what I, to organize and, you know, set up a kind of a structure of what, of what I knew to be like what was going on. So it was really dispersed and I would change a lot because of that. Like I would change my ideas about things quite a bit because of that, like going from communism to anarcho-communism to anarcho-syndicalism to mutual this or mutual that to like wanting to live in the woods and eat squirrels, which I did for one point. He dropped out of high school and went from skateboarding all day with his friends to joining a vague group of nativists that ate roadkill in the woods. You see, Scott was never one to choose comfort over what he believed to be true. You know, I was into like the Jack Kerouac and all that kind of stuff. But for every subculture he adopted, he soon found himself feeling disillusioned and then leaving disheartened. I had a change of heart at one point where I realized, okay, maybe I do want to go to college because I was working, I was painting houses. Maybe I do want to like kind of organize myself a little bit. Um, so I went to college, but like I was jaded. Scott enrolls into a progressive liberal arts school in Olympia, Washington. And there he begins to straddle the line between understanding the world and escaping from it. Like I just got, even though I went to a college environment that was really like into this type of politics and like social justice, et cetera, I was not a part of it there at all. Cause I had just gotten so fed up with like anger that I am. Um, kind of gave up on all that and just went to house shows and started listening to like music all the time and got into philosophy and poetry. He starts to read philosophy hoping that he'll find some truth, but the type of philosophy he was reading was saying that there's no such thing. Like when I read Hegel for the first time, I read it in this class. We were reading Phenomenology of Spirit in that class. And we had these useless discussions where we would just talk forever and ever about what we thought he meant, right? and go on forever and no one could communicate with each other because no one knew what the heck anyone else was saying because we would just go in circles but we don't know what it means because we only want to fit it into our what we want it to mean he was having a hard time making sense of the world I was so like fed up with everything but I couldn't say it I didn't know how to say it so it was just building up inside of me and so much anger and then when I went to college it just got jaded from that but I think I, I went so far down that line that and I got so fed up with like the, the anger of like not being able to do anything or feeling like I wasn't doing anything to change anything. Like I was just like, I like wanted to explode, right? Like, I, you know, I wanted to go live on the streets and be one of these like street kids. Like, I mean, I thought that was, that was freedom was to like go not pay anything, not work, eat trash, like be a little scum punk. Like that's what I like was looking for. He was a pretty angry kid during that time and very confused and mixed up and um, really lost his way. That's Scott's mother. Hello. Hi, sweetheart. She came in while we were doing the interview and she agreed to sit down and talk to me for a little bit. My friend Imran is here. Oh. Imran. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you as well. Here's how she remembers that time in Scott's life. He was angry about about a lot of things. He was smoking and drinking a lot. He was trying to, um, I guess, medicate himself through, you know, drinking and smoking. And um, it's not a healthy way to live. Mm -hmm. 
So I was pretty concerned about that for a number of years. When I was in college in Olympia, Washington, inside of this house that was just disgusting, full of junk, all the couches, all the furniture was drawn on. There was like food and dishes and beer cans all over the place, and we were living in like basically chaos. Um, mold everywhere. Like I, wa- I was watching X, right? The the, um, the Malcolm X movie with Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was watching that movie, and I remember like seeing the scene where he's in jail. And he's like doing push-ups, and then he's praying after that. And like he's putting discipline into his life, and I remember seeing that and just being really intrigued by that. Like, some, it, like kind of subconsciously hit me like, whoa, something really like powerful to that. Like the prostration and the prayer that he's doing after the push-ups, after like disciplining and orienting his life. I like, I was like really intrigued by that. There's something to that prayer. So after graduating college, Scott moves to New York City, not really knowing what else to do. He gets an apartment in Brooklyn and a job in Manhattan as a librarian. With all this time to himself, he starts to wonder, where am I going? When I was in New York, you know, I got really scared. I got really frightened seeing a lot of older people who I was spending a lot of time with in their 30s, still doing exactly what I was doing when I was 18, going to shows, you know, drinking and kind of throwing life away because there was no meaning, there was no reason not to. And I was like, man, we're still acting like children, you know, we're not like, we, how are we going to take care of ourselves? Like, what's going on? This is, it really, like, freaked me out. At this point, he begins a search, and he starts off where he started as a child. And so when I was in New York, the idea of contemplation and meditation was really, was really important to me. So, and, you know, I've always been attracted to Buddhism, but I was also looking at Orthodox Christianity, um... But one day I just said to myself, what's that Islam thing? You know, it's kind of a weird religion. What's going on there? Like, I wonder what they're doing. So I probably typed in either Islamic theology or Islamic mysticism. So I was interested in, like, mysticism. Um, and a Tim Winter, or Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad lecture popped up called Islamic Theology and Mysticism. It's one of his younger lectures back in New Mexico. And it just blew me away, because here was the, you know, here was this religion that was all about seeking knowledge. I had no idea what that meant, but I was intrigued. Heaven is too high for human beings to to be able to build and lift up a stairway to it. We need God to lower a stair from above, and it's then our responsibility to climb it. So the basic obligation and purpose of religion is to find and to understand and ultimately to climb that stairway that leads upwards. In fact, it's not just the basic obligation of religion, it can be seen as the reason for our very creation. In Islam's understanding, God being perfect wishes his perfection to be known. His perfection in this view is only complete when it is witnessed. classical images, the peacock's tail must be unfurled. Hence the inevitability of manifestation, this apparently impossible paradox. I mean, alhamdulillah, that was like, this is the first thing that popped up. And I know myself at the time that, you know, it was a great mercy from God to put that lecture there as opposed to that 
a lecture with someone yelling, oh, if you do this, it's haram, etc., etc., you know, da-da-da-da-da, like, that would have just, I would have been driven, driven away. So alhamdulillah, I got this really beautiful lecture of um, the Odyssey, sort of that sort of stuff. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what? Okay. But it sounded so good. It sounded really intriguing to me. It just, it opened up an entire dimension of Islam that I was completely ignorant to. He was working in a bookstore at the time. So as he cataloged books, he used that opportunity to listen to lectures online. Then he finally decides to go ahead and pick up his first book on Islam. Yeah, so this is, The Knowledge in the Sacred was the first book about Islam that I picked up. He's showing me his tattered copy. It's full of highlights and underlines and notes. Were you looking for this book particularly? Or? I was looking for books on Islam. I was in the Islam section looking for books about Islam. And I saw this and um, I had no idea who Sayyid Hussein Nasser was. I had no idea who any Islamic like scholar was. In college, Scott was really big into philosophy. But since moving to New York, it was pretty unlikely that he would be coming across a book like this. I was living in like, the middle of the hubbub of a very busy, busy place, a very distracted place. And so I started to read this book on probably on the subway. Probably in my room at the time, which was a tiny little room with no windows. And a tiny little apartment in Flatbush, Brooklyn. As he flipped through the pages, he found himself agreeing more and more with the ideas in the book. Things do have inherent meaning. And people didn't always think the way that we do now. For me, it was, it was more exciting to see that the issues that I was kind of dealing with in terms of contemporary philosophy. So to realize that there was a history to how it got to that point, knowledge used to be this interaction with the divine and an interaction with something greater than you, that you didn't own knowledge, but you were given knowledge. Knowledge was a gift to you that you received from from the world, as opposed to that you look at something, you come to own it, possess it in your mind. You, you, you can do whatever you want with that particular thing. That's kind of the state we're in now. At this point, Scott had to read the Quran for himself. I read the Quran and, you know, it's so weird. It's so, it's really, it's a bizarre book if you're not used to it. And the first time you pick it up, it's a really, it's very odd. And I'm not saying that with any disrespect, obviously. I'm saying that just in all truth to someone who's never read something like that or to someone who's an avid reader of books. You know, I'm relatively open-minded to form, and I read a lot of very odd books that didn't really make much sense. But this made sense. Every once in a while, you'll hit something that makes perfect sense, and it the Quran is explaining something. It would explain these ideas that I had in my head that I was searching for. So talking about those who are seeking knowledge, but they're seeking knowledge in an inappropriate, they're not seeking knowledge correctly. People who are looking for knowledge, but they're looking to themselves for knowledge. They're looking at their own egos. You know, their egos are loud. They haven't quieted their egos to accept the gift of knowledge from the world. Their parable is that of one who kindled a fire. And when it lit up what was around him, God took away their light and left them in darkness, unseeing. Deaf, dumb, and blind, they return not. Or a cloudburst from the sky, in which there is darkness, thunder, and lightning. They put their fingers in their ears against the thunderclaps, fearing death. The lightning all but snatches away their sight. 
you know, for me, that was one of the most powerful verses at first. When I read that, it explained perfectly the issues that I was running up against in the philosophy that I was studying in college. Like, we create this truth with a lowercase t that illuminates what we want to have illuminate around us, like a little campfire that creates enough light that you can see yourself. You can see dimly the person across from you. You know, you might be able to see some of the food that you're making or something. Mm -hmm. But if a big wind comes through, it just blows that out. And then you're back in darkness. And that's, that's how I felt about philosophy when there's no real structure behind it. Is you can create this little system to understand the world based on how you desire to understand the world. Or what you think is correct. Or what you think is the truth of the world but if as soon as someone else comes along and creates a more um, coherent system it's going to knock out yours Mm -hmm. and that's it's always changing it's always fluctuating it's always like ideas are always changing there's in that in you know academics like it only illuminates what's around it and it's also very egotistical because it's very rooted in what a person desires to establish as truth in the quran Scott was finding a way to order everything that he already knew to be true. You know, I was intrigued by a religion that really centered on knowledge and like the study of knowledge and the conversations of knowledge. That education of the self was such a key part to the religion to the point that the first words revealed were, were, you know, read in the name of your Lord, who created man from a clinging substance and taught man by the pen. You know, taught man by the by knowledge gave man gave us knowledge and that's what made us unique as as human beings it's the ability to know things beyond just their place as you know food or tool or something that we can know things deeper than that Um, i said i wouldn't convert until i finished reading the whole quran I got about halfway through and I was like, man, I gotta do this thing. I just, I very clearly remember standing next to a Chinese restaurant around the corner from my house and I was on the phone with you and I told you, mom, I'm either gonna be a monk or I'm gonna convert to Islam. And you told me, don't be a monk. I do remember that, but the que- <laughs> I was pretty stunned. The second day after I got back from New York was the day I went to a masjid and took the shahada, converted to Islam. Um, so I knew nothing about um, Islam at the oh, okay. time, so um, I had some concerns. To be, I had some concerns. It took a while, but I started. You know, first I started with the the prayer and like getting up early for fajr and you know doing that, and then I tried to you know, get my eating on in check and started exercising and like putting these little things into my life that like really helped me start to see things a little clearer. And it's like, it's only then when I can really say that I started to actually like learn things. Because before I had just kind of like taken in all this stuff, but I didn't know how to utilize it or apply it. And I like only did with it what I wanted to do with it. I didn't listen to what I was learning necessarily, but that's kind of when I started to listen to what I was was interacting with because I recognized that.
kind of have to put your head down. Or else you're just going to like block things off. I began to see some really positive changes in him. And he just became more at peace with himself. Um, start to feel good about himself is <laughs> really heartwarming for me and takes a great deal of worry away from me because I feel like he's found his community. He's, he's found what he's been looking for for all these years and um, what a gift that has been. And this was, you know, this is all from God. This isn't, if you, you know, if you look back at it, like there's, it's it's very surprising that I would that I had these kind of thoughts. Like I wasn't like you wouldn't expect that if you knew me at that time. It was tough. It was tough when people would ask me how my my son was doing and what what he was doing, and I would say that he converted to Islam. And almost every single person that I shared that with would get a stunned look on their face and say, "Are you afraid for him?" Wow. Because he's a, you know, young Muslim man. And that was, that was what, three years ago now? So how, how has that evolved for you, that question and, and your own thoughts about it? Well, I realized that, you know, I had to throw away. I, 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 just, I just look at it through his eyes and what I see and um, the people that he's now surrounding himself with. And the positive work that he's doing, um, both within himself and then through other people as well. So, but now when people ask me what he's doing, it's not as scary for me to tell people what he's up to. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and his, you know, people are, I think he's such a positive example of the religion. People are learning about Islam through him and his actions. Yeah. So, you know. It, you know, yeah. there's a Muslim a... that lives in the neighborhood. <laughs> He's a great kid. Yeah. And, you know, that's what it is. Wow. Yeah. I just was looking for discipline in my life. I was looking for something that would give me some type of order or structure in my life. The religion gave him the discipline he was looking for. But it also inspired in him the desire to know more and more. And also gave him the key in which to know. You know, there's no way to really interact with knowledge without discipline, or else you're just interacting with yourself. You're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to. A wise man once said to me that knowledge without discipline is like a bicycle wheel without a chain, and it just keeps spinning and spinning, spinning around. This is you. And when you put that chain on the wheel, that discipline, then you can start to go somewhere. I forgot that I said that. <laughs> you did. So like I said before, Scott and I are both students at Zaytuna College, which is in Berkeley. And that has a little bit of irony to it for Scott. Last year and before that, Zaytuna was at a different campus than it's in now. And that campus was literally across the street from People's Park in Berkeley, full of the exact people I wanted to be. I wanted to live at People's Park. Like that was my dream in high school is to live at People's Park. And like I ended up there. Just a block over at Zaytuna College. Is that weird, like, every day leaving that place? 
and seeing them. Yeah, I mean, it, I looked for people I knew, right? Like I was looking for people that I grew up with because wow. a lot of them kind of ended up in that life. And like you'd have to have direct interaction with my mind at that time to be able to understand what I'm saying because there's no communicative order to it. It's like jumping into just a pile of mud, really. It's so different. It's hard to remember how he used to see things. But this is how he sees the world now. About how like everything else in creation worships God just by being itself. Like a bird worships God just by doing its bird thing. And mm. a tree worships God by doing its tree thing. And the clouds worship God by doing their cloud thing. And like the only thing that doesn't worship God is humans because we can step out of being in that divine order we can turn away from that divine order and it's up to us to recognize our place in that divine order that you know that's the purpose of our life is to like reconnect with that arrangement that god has placed his creation in and that's why we seek knowledge is so we can know what what that is right we don't seek knowledge to know everything because you're never going to know everything we seek knowledge to know where we sit in God's creation so that we can return to him saying, look, we did our best to not screw things up. We screwed things up plenty, but we did our best to not screw things up. And we sought further and further. We sought information to figure out how we cannot screw things up. We tried. God, we tried. American Submitter is an independently produced podcast. If you like what you've heard, please support us by telling your friends, signing up for our newsletter, and donating from our website. But more importantly, we'd like to hear what you think. Leave us a comment at americansubmitter.org.